Takes me a second to get back in the thing, swing of things. <laughs> All right, so uh, today we are discussing lecture 13 and we're doing the second half. So um, this one's called The Holiness of Israel's God. And um, I was talking to my mom last night about it. It sounds very interesting. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't done my my homework this week. But anyway, what what kind of things, what uh, parts of it were, were interesting to you this week as um, we, we talk about... Um, God and and our relationship with him um I'll just say uh you know I know we touched about the importance of um oh truth last week I think um and just kind of that towards the beginning of that second half you know he quotes um Oh, I didn't write it down, but it, it talks about having a knowledge of Jehovah and he, you know, reemphasizes that point of not just a knowledge about Jehovah, but pure knowledge of Jehovah, of the truth of Jehovah. Um, anyways, and he goes on from there, but again, just I, that reoccurring message just seems really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what does that look like? Because like sometimes I, I get into my uh rigmarole or my my day-to-day -day and I'm like oh yeah like I know God like I you know but but the the pure and, and simple truth of him kind of thing is is so important right to always be refining that and, and developing our, our relationship with him yeah and then he kind of no go ahead Lisa can I say something even though I'm in Cameron's camp I have not read it I'm here to enjoy, but it makes me, what you just said, it makes me think of uh, a lesson that I'm teaching in Relief Society, where we're going to be examining the difference between simply being acquainted with God and being in a deep, committed covenant relationship with him. And I really love that inquiry. I think that it can become very relevant the deeper we go into into examining our relationship and then choosing, you know, because we ultimately choose the relationship that we want with him. Yeah, exactly. It's all about that, that agency and, and choice, isn't it? Hmm. The part that um, Amy was quoting is just below one hour, 14 minutes. And I actually bolded those words knowledge about jehovah not just knowledge about jehovah but pure knowledge of jehovah of what he is of the truth of jehovah all he stands for of his entire plan of salvation of things beyond that we can see now amazing yeah love that it, it's so it's sobering um mm -hmm. i know for myself the last year and a half or so i have dedicated much of my waking hours and sleeping hours if you <laughs> want to know um getting to know about jehovah just diving into the scriptures and it's it's real. It's different than I ever was before. Uh, my understanding of his promises and his ways 
that he deals with us. Um, and so I could, I could um, cheat myself by saying, oh yeah, I get it now. I, I know him. But I truly think that I'm just learning more about him. And as I um, humble myself and ask, I think that I'm getting small glimpses of that pure knowledge, but definitely not at the scope that we're promised in the scriptures. So I have so much more work to do. Mm -hmm. But it's happening. And I think, gosh, I think it was in here as well. Maybe somewhere else I was reading this week. It's a it's a matter of time and patience. A lot of scriptures that came to me this week were about patience and waiting and being faithful while you wait. The whole um, bridegroom, bride imagery that Lisa referred to is, I mean, as she was talking about her Relief Society thing, that's that's the same verbiage that we think about when we're just getting to know acquaintance versus dating versus a committed relationship. It's just vastly different um, in your depth of knowing somebody. I've been married for 33 years and I'm just feeling like, oh, I'm getting to know this guy. Shalise, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um... I, I was thinking um, in relation to what you were saying. So is a commitment where we really fix our eyes upon the Lord. Is that an event or a process or is it both? And just like in a marriage, there's the event, there's the beautiful ceremony, but it really is what happens afterwards. The years of fidelity and diligence and going through the experiences of life that craft something that is so exquisite and so beautiful and so priceless. And so that's where that patience and process comes in that you were speaking to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> One more thing, the, the promise of it all, as I get to know his character and nature through his writings and, and prophecies about him, I realized that he's sure. I mean, that's the difference, right? All of our relationships are broken at best. <laughs> um, he's sure. And that's the thing that I just keep in awe. I, I keep becoming, I keep, I'm so tired. I'm sorry. <laughs> It gets me. I'm like, I keep having to remind myself he's sure, like he's not going anywhere. His promises are, I don't even know the word. What's more sure than sure? Mm. Is there a Hebrew word, Cameron? Hi, I'm sure there is, but <laughs> my, my brain's not wrapping around it. I, but yeah, it, it's kind of like the, the, the language barrier, right? Like it, it's mentalese. It's, it, you know it, you, you know what the, the concept is, but yeah, there's just not an adequateness to, to describe how firm, steadfast, how sure the constant the Lord actually is. That's, that's why I love the imagery of the faithful bridegroom, you know, and, and, and uh, just keep seeing that repeated over and over and, and how he redeems his bride, his 
unfaithful bride, <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I just think it is so powerful. Um, yeah. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of like the, the story of uh, Hosea and Gomer. Um, I, I think we had that watch party, didn't we? Uh, a while back. Um, yeah. And anyway, it just, yeah. How faithful he is to such an unfaithful wife like uh, i mean we're just <laughs> we're just constantly unfaithful yet um he he's so steadfast and and true and uh kind of like uh it's been mentioned how um it it's about it's kind of like this threefold process there's there's knowing about our uh our bridegroom and then there's getting to know uh, there's uh, those years of of uh, fidelity and everything that, that go into it but then there's the actual knowledge i mean there's the the intimacy the uh, the complete oneness the one flesh kind of concept there and it reminds me a lot of like how the endowment is is set up right i mean we have signs tokens and names and they're all about proximity um and so as we we embark in uh a covenant relationship as we make a commitment we offer up a sign saying okay we're, we're not there yet but we're willing to enter into it and then once we get into to more holier places we're offering tokens and and we're in a, a very close relationship where we're close enough to reach out and touch and and then then comes the the intimate moment where we're we're whispering the the most precious part of that covenant relationship to um to our bridegroom's ear so that that we can fully receive and and become part of that that whole scenario like it, it's so powerful there's one thing to know about and that's great to start off with we all have to start off there but then there comes the actual i i mean intimacy is just not the fully adequate word but i mean it, it goes in levels there's it's a three-part system mm -hmm. kind of thing and and just knowing how true and faithful and, and holy he is and that through our agency through our actions we can get there um you know we the commandment to be perfect isn't just lightly given it it's it's an expectation yeah become perfect this is this is within your grasp and and it is expected now that you've entered into a covenant yeah i was thinking kind of what you were saying is Cameron, is that our relationship is kind of in layers. And I think even when you get to what you think is the deepest layer, then there's another deeper layer. Yeah. And it just becomes stronger and deeper in ways that we never imagined. Based mm -hmm. on desire, based mm -hmm. on our desires. Because mm -hmm. only when we are feeling that yearning towards him, is another layer than able to be revealed. And, you know, when I think about uh, the story of Enoch, I mean, he shatters anybody's notions of distance between the Lord when he literally walked and talked with him on this earth. And he was not gifted in speech, but his language became so pure and so powerful that he could do things that were just astonishing. He mm -hmm. had full power. And those were all gifts 
uh, that were would not be possible without the Lord's grace being upon him. And I look at myself as, and all of us are all, we are so broken just as Enoch was broken in his speech. It is only when we look to the Lord that we can rise. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm also reminded of um, the brother of Jared who thought he knew the Lord, right? And he went to the Lord and then knew that he would touch the stones, that the stones would light up, but he never expected to see his finger. And when he did, then there was a deeper learning and a deeper knowing. And it just, I mean, how well did he know him to trust him to, to light the stones? And how deep was that connection? And then it went deeper and then deeper. And he learned more about the Lord. Was he not also the one who saw God weep? And then he, and then he, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay. Was he not the one who also then saw God weep? Enoch. That was Enoch. Okay. Yeah. And look at learning. I, I couldn't remember if it was a brother Jared or Enoch, but think about how learning about God's emotions then bring you into a deeper realm yeah. of, of knowing God. Yeah. Yes. We limit ourselves. I think mm -hmm. sometimes in the way we think, but when mm -hmm. we look at those stories, they shatter our mm -hmm. notions about what is possible because Enoch really it is becomes in a way a template. The obvious state is and President Nelson is trying to point us towards which is to become a Zion people. He was they became a Zion people that were literally taken. They could they did not remain on the earth any longer. They were taken up to heaven. I don't know a more powerful um, example than that what he achieved I, and I love that point you made about the the um desire playing into that and, mm -hmm. and the importance of the desire of our hearts and and I think we can all feel our desires essentially becoming purified and and pointing more to our savior right like kind of this process and and uh but you're just so absolutely right and it just feels so important to recognize that and to really look within our own hearts to seek to really see our hearts and like do I you know it's easy to say yeah that's what I desire but we're kind of um, delusional in it, you know, because we might say we desire something, yet our actions and everything really says otherwise. And, um, uh, but I think in that process, yeah, God can, I don't know, it just, it just feels like this grace he's giving us to, as we start to taste more and more of the beauty of 
um, truth and of our Christ, just kind of like what Shalise is saying, you know, just words can't describe as we start to recognize his true character, like it does, like it draws us to him and our desires do start to be purified. And, and I, I don't know, just recognizing that like, okay, we can, yeah, we can truly become like Enoch and all these beautiful examples. And, and anyways, I, I just love that thought, the, the importance of desiring, you know, mm-hmm. I am just keep having come to mind um, President Nelson when he um, admonished us to learn to be taught, seek to be taught by the Lord himself. Like it's not anything that we can learn from others. We have to be taught by him, all of these things. Yeah. And the eff- And the effort, the desire that we have to put in for that. Yeah. One thing that keeps coming to my mind just now, but I don't know, <laughs> but what role does, does music and, and poetry play in our relationship with a holy being? It seems like when, when those who, who reach that, that level of, of a relationship with their God, usually tend to express it in in that way they they write their um uh, devotion um into to music or uh poetry into a uh, a form of worship i'm <laughs> i used to be really musical but i i really have let that go but like what role does that play in it is that just kind of a natural process in in the whole thing i i don't know i just throwing that out there that's an interesting thought Cameron. Mm-hmm. i I think from what you just said, it came to my mind that music and poetry express what words cannot express. Even though poetry is words, it's still, it's, it's uh, effort is to express the unexpressible. And, and it evokes also, emotion, right? It also, um, there's a scripture somewhere, I think it's in Isaiah that talks about when the Lord comes, and so we have a newer knowledge of him, that we will sing a new song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see so much of that in the scriptures, the the singing praises, and that uh, that is just, it seems like it's just a natural response to, you know, to, yeah, just accepting our our lord and and really coming to know him then you do want to sing those praises and i even uh think just the um the thought of you know he talks about in this um talking about oh just that that scripture says hark your watchman um Oh, what is it now? I can't think. I would, I'm trying to find where I wrote it down. But anyways, um, just that exclamation that that comes when we we come to know him. It is just such a natural response to then want to, you know, whether it is poetry or music or just that shouting from the rooftops, that inviting, you know, um 
you know, our, our hearts want to then be, we truly do want to be saviors and, and bring others into this, uh, and share that with them. And anyways, just love all that imagery. Recently, um, found Psalms. Mm. I just never had been there very often. And the other day I was in the celestial room um, waiting for patrons to come through. So I had a few minutes alone and I turned to Psalms 25 randomly. And this speaks to a lot of what we're just saying. Unto thee, O Lord, I do lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me be not ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed, which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths, lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation, and on thee do I wait all day, all the day. It just keeps going and going. Um, it's it's so beautiful. It's like being taught how to pray. Mm -hmm. um, definitely emotional. So cool. A higher level of communication, I would say, are our conversations are so base. We've lost so much beauty in our own language. And I think poetry and song just elevate that. Thank you for that. I agree and love what you just said. Um, I have felt many times that um, communication, being a literature major and someone who writes poetry, I have felt so often the limitation of language and it has pained me so many times uh, when I try to express something and it's just, I feel like whatever I say falls short. Um, then on just a day-to-day -day basis, I think about people and the way they communicate with each other and um, one of the um, things I've not looked into it, but I've heard that there's actually a method of retraining ourselves in language called nonviolent communication, where people are actually taught how not to trespass even energetically, even subtly on another being in the way that they speak. And I do believe that our language has become very degraded and there can be much harm done through our use of words. And uh, so I feel like the more that we can expose ourselves to the Holy Writ, the more refined our spirits will be and refreshed. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I totally agree. I love that. Uh, Jennifer in the chat says that as a pianist, I feel the spirit so strongly as I play beautiful arrangements of hymns, especially when playing for sacrament meetings. Mm -hmm. Spirit speaks through the underlying words and feelings in the hymns. You know, they're they're all for a purpose, right? Uh, <laughs> sometimes uh, me and my non-musical uh, mode of, of life right now, it, it just kind of seems um, like I take them for granted and, and things. So yeah, it's always important to, to come back in because 
seriously, some of my most impactful or emotion invoking uh, experiences have been when music or poetry has been involved. You know, my life's not high school musical, but like <laughs> uh, I, you can deeply feel something when there's, there's energy and vibration and, and emotion behind it. Because um, I remember back with like the, for strength of youth and, and things when I was uh, a youth that uh, they, I can't remember if it was a local leader or, or whatever, it might've been a general leader. It almost seems like it was Hinkley, but I, I could be, uh, but that music carries with it the original intent of the, the author. So like if whoever wrote the, the music was, <laughs> this is going to sound random, but like some gangster and, and had, you know, wrote it in a bad space that carries through the actual music. And so like music conveys emotion, it conveys um, intent throughout space and time that words sometimes just cannot. And so I, I find that very interesting. It's it's something that's very understudied, I guess, in, in our uh, faith background that the, the power of a frequency and vibration and music and an intent in, in all of that, it, it's very powerful. It's beautiful, Cameron. Um, I like that vibrational uh, component to what we're talking about. Um, I think that uh, with poetry, for instance, to, to breathe is to inspire. And when we're speaking, there's an element of breath involved. And when you hear a poem read by the person who wrote the poem, there is something very different than when another person reads the poem. And you're talking about original tent and the vibration. And I really feel like that vibration comes through when you're hearing the person speak aloud their poetry. And I think that's one of the reasons why when you go to a poetry gathering, they have poetry readings by the people who wrote the poems. Mm -hmm. I have sadly absented myself from poetry readings of late because they also have become very degraded in their vibration, their intent, their language, and what they're expressing. Mm -hmm. But there is something very powerful about the breath and the inspiration and the speaking aloud of the language from the person who wrote it. And I don't even begin to understand it, but I've experienced that. And my sister said that she has heard, she's been to many of my poetry readings, and she said that she heard another person read one of my poems, and she said it was, it was like, it was not my poem, it was so different. Mm-hmm. I think that's because poetry and music is comes from the depths of your heart mm -hmm. that you have thought about it and you're putting it into into ethereal terms, you know, and so that um, when you read it, you are reading it with the passion that you felt it, whereas the other person had did not feel what you felt. Now you might they may have like the spirit when we the spirit. Um, when you speak, you speak with the spirit and the people receive us the spirit. When you are reading your poetry or, or singing your music, they can feel your passion. 
and it, it transfers. Um, they might ha not have the exact same passion, but they can feel your passion. But it also goes on the other the other end, uh, where we get the the trashy music, the trashy poetry. It's written from the depths of their heart, and where is their heart? You know, so it it goes both ways. Yeah. So is that likewise? kind of like what we were talking about before, that a relationship is kind of in, in three parts. There's no reason about somebody and then there's actually knowing them. And so does does music kind of convey that same thing? So as we we read the experiences that others have had with their um, creator, with their um, uh, savior, uh, we read the scriptures, we read those poetry. Um, uh, like uh, I, I see Tracy's uh, put on there, the, the Song of Moses and, and, and in DNC there. And then we come to a point when it actually starts emanating from our soul and we start uh, expressing that uh, because we have our own experiences with deity until we're actually almost, <laughs> it kind of sounds weird, but like singing with him and, and creating music together kind of a thing, you know? So like it kind of goes in in parts um, from the beginner stages of, of listening to others and, and being moved by it until it actually becomes such a part of our relationship with God that we then become holy in that space with him kind of thing. I had never considered that, you know, like how many times when I'm praying at night and, and trying to develop that relationship, am I singing and expressing that kind of stuff? It, it, it hasn't happened, but it, I'm adding it to my list. <laughs> Beautiful thought, Cameron, because yeah. we pray from that space. Our will is in his will or probably in harmonic resonance. Because when you're in that resonance with the Lord, then you are able to be praying for his will your will and his will become to my mind would become one mm -hmm. so that's unity and alignment right isn't that what that would be you are in alignment with him you are unified with him yeah hmm. that's a thought. i like that yeah i love it and kind of like the the point of of this lecture right is kind of breaking down our, our false traditions um, and saying, hey, this is possible. Like you can see him. That I mean, that's one of the, the greatest, I, I guess, misconceptions or, or whatever you want to call it in, in our um, part, our little tiny part of the, the whole restoration is that we've kind of lost that idea that, that we can see him. And, and uh, what is it in... It's like DNC 88, I think, isn't it? I, I'm reading some of the clips here, but um, anyway. Is it like, hour 111, DNC 88, 67 and 68. Yeah, 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 there. <clears throat> if you and if your eye be single to my glory, your whole body shall be filled with light and there shall be no darkness in you. And that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things which I would say then can express all things. <laughs> Therefore, sanctify yourself that your minds become single to God and the days will come that you, you shall see him for he will unveil his face unto you and it shall be in his own time, in his own way and according to his own will. 
And the next paragraph. Your reference again, Shalise, DMC. That's 88, 67, and 68. And then Abraham follows that with his will, not ours, of course. We can't conjure, conjure this up because we follow some kind of easy formula or something. It doesn't work that way. We cannot do it because we want it so bad. We can't do it that we cannot do it that way. We can't manipulate it. It comes from him in his own time, in his own way, according to his own will, in ways that are most least expected when they happen. And it can happen to each one of us. He says it right here. That's so powerful. You know, it makes me think of uh, a lot of our apostles have wrote songs about their experience of, of being with Christ. Um, so I mean, this goes along with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, like, I know that we've... <laughs> chatted about this before in, in some of our, our book club discussions and stuff, but um, kind of taking a, a look at some of those hymns that um, people in, in the restoration have, have written about their experience, you know, like this is the Christ um, from Faust or uh, President Nelson's uh, hymn. It would be so moving, I feel, to actually hear them sing it. Has anyone, I don't know, is there a recording of President Nelson singing his own hymn? I, I would love to to hear that. I agree. That kind of goes along with what I was trying to say. There's something very moving about hearing the poem from the person who wrote it or the song. That would be so, so beautiful. I'm really enjoying this conversation. It feels so fruitful to be considering these things um, about how important it is to be so filled with light to be able to literally um, that our prayers become come in alignment with his will so that it's not just our will it's we are able then to to desire his will fully and let go of all the veils of unbelief and false traditions that we may um, experience in their lives. <clears throat> mm -hmm. uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, the, the story of the brother of Jared. Like, uh, like what you're saying there with, with the lights and uh, the, the vibration and all of that, where like when he was touching the stones, he was basically creating uh, the Urim and, and Thummim that they would use later on. But um uh, the fact that we're we're touching something that is i mean a stone we <laughs> there's no way that a stone could could admit light and stuff it's one of the darkest densest kind of things and yet we have the faith that god can touch whatever and make it produce light and can he not do that with our own stony hearts as we um prepare and partake and participate in the sacrament that uh it's kind of that same thing as we're kind of rending a, a veil and and becoming one in that relationship um, that that he can actually infuse light into something that that has become dark or um, 
uh, is stones. Are we bringing the same stones that the brother of Jared is, is kind of bringing to that that altar, to that that holy place? I don't know. My brain is just kind of going in lots of different random directions. But but I like what you said there about infusing the light. That uh, he he is a god of light. He is the the word. And anyway, it, it's very powerful. Wow. I love that. I've had a thought and this might be a little weird. I mean, I don't know if I'm off base, but before we ran the veil in the temple, we're in a prayer circle and we're being given the words to speak. And I wonder if that's part of unity. I mean, obviously we're united with other saints in the circle, but the voice may represent the voice of the Lord or the Holy Spirit or something that's giving us what to pray for that's in complete unity with him. And that is one of the last steps becoming completely unified in that as far as we can at that point before renting the veil. Does that, has that ever crossed anyone's mind or am I just out there? No, that's exactly what I think it is. You have the the uh, officiator in the middle and and think of the his what he's doing representing the holy ghost the holy ghost is is over the celestial where christ is terrestrial and god is celestial and so if you look at what they're doing it's the holy ghost taking our prayer up there and we are all unified when we get to that point that I, it's not like we're really going, I'm going to say the exact words that you say, but what it is saying that if you are following and listening to the Holy Spirit and, and heeding it, if you're at that point, then we will all be unified in what we pray for and unified with God. So we won't be asking for, you know, things that we, that aren't really necessary or in, in our best interest. We won't, we will be doing God's will. And I think that's what it represents is we are unified and in alignment with God through the Holy Ghost. And, and uh, yeah, I think that's what it is. It's probably even more than that because everything seems to be so layered. <laughs> and we're, we're asked to, to not participate if we have any ill feelings towards anyone in the circle, which lends to exactly what you're saying. The unity and everything. It brought something to my mind. It brought that part in the Book of Mormon when Jesus comes in third Nephi, and they're not multiplying words in the prayer. He gives them the words to the prayer. They're very simple, and they they repeat them again and again as if they're written in their heart. These are the words that they keep saying, and they are able to be in his presence. Oh. <clears throat> I love that. Um, sorry, I I missed some of the chat here. <laughs> Tracy's been busy. Um, but yeah, uh, talking about uh, over Christmas as a family member was in a very foul mood. Uh, Christmas Eve, I put on Christmas hymns, and the mood left this family member immediately. Um, that was Sunday, and we had all been to church, so uh, playing lots of hymns, uh, making sure that those are are a part of it. And then um, so often, though, the prayer in the temple prayer circle, right, is pretty repetitive and seems to be hitting some sort of checklist. 
we we love our checklists. <laughs> a handful of times, I, I feel the spirit strongly and weep, but sometimes it's checklisty for me. Um, and then Alicia saying that uh, the ones that have been the most powerful for me were the ones focused on the Savior. Yeah. Okay, I think there's much to learn from that uh, template that Shalice brought up, uh, whether we're um, actually experiencing the full power of that in actuality, we're really more practicing it as if it's a dramatization and we are pretending as if we are at Adam and Eve, we're participating in these sacred rituals. But I do believe that uh, there's something to consider, as Shalice was suggesting, in the template of these sacred um, experiences and practices. I like the um, the usage there, like being actors on a stage. Uh, Hugh Nibley is one of the uh, the best resources on that, right? How everything in antiquity was a drama um, because that's how we would convey these stories and these meanings uh, throughout time and uh, everything. And, and we are no different that we have drama in, in the temple that we are actors playing a, a part. We're reading from a script. We're doing certain things as a template. And um, don't you just love when, uh, you've watched something and all of the actors, all of the participants are just in perfect alignment with their character and everything. Like it's believable. You're in it. You, you're actually transformed and moved by it versus a checklisty type of thing where they're just reading lines and uh, making sure that they check all the boxes versus actually feeling it and maybe ad-libbing or, or whatever needs to happen. But um, uh, it's a very transformative thing. And so, uh, we have a, a duty to to bring our all to the endowment because we are active participants. We are to be considered as such, and we're putting on this um, this drama, this play for ourselves and for the proxies that, uh, or I guess we're proxies for them, for those that we are uh, going through for. Um, uh, it's just this big drama I, I i love that and how we actually have a duty to um be alert uh, attentive and awake and not just uh, reading lines and and doing it half-heartedly i just can't help but think how satan's usurped all that through tv and movies right yeah. we just sit and watch dramas all the time and we don't have to be an active participant we can just yeah Depending on the drama, there can be dramas that convey um, eternal truths and can lift the spirits. Right, but I don't think that's what most people focus on. He's really usurped that in a in a grand way. No, they're just addicted to mm -hmm. watching, watching, watching. That's why I cut it out. It's mm -hmm. so easy. yeah, it's very spirit led. What. Um, what one can choose and not choose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Speaking about Hugh Nibley, uh, Cameron, getting back to your comment, he also um, invoked dance as part of sacred ritual. We've talked about music, poetry, 
uh, Hunigli also um, was very interested in forms of sacred dance. Which is so interesting and so foreign to uh, our our restoration church. I, I'm, you know, pioneers. We we hear many things about dance and, and those, but uh, when we, the only thing that I have as a reference is like youth steak dances, and those are mm -hmm. <laughs> lacking. So yeah, I I can only imagine what that must mean or what that must feel like. I can't imagine express myself through through that uh, medium at, at all so that'll be very interesting uh when that at least gets restored to me i don't know uh how else to to necessarily put that but uh, when that well, we'll all want to be there when that gets restored to you can <laughs> <laughs> book clubs i i think back in in our ancient days dancing is symbolic too think of hawaiian dances and stuff they are symbolizing things it's symbolic and back then they didn't have the technology we have and stuff and they were i think that, that I, and entertainment their their um instruments were uh, what the room the, the the basic ones the ones that you make yourself you know they didn't have uh mm -hmm synthesizers or anything you know they didn't have that kind of stuff and so they would play the, the their flutes or whatever they were and they would dance to it uh, representing stories and things so maybe that's where it comes from and since we don't we just don't do that nowadays mm -hmm. you know i think it was I think that john taylor that um talked about zion would produce the finest um arts that have ever been expressed, even the most beautiful gardens and just um, kind of a very grand picture of where human consciousness can move when it's elevated and touched by the divine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder too, if they may have taken some of it out in, in early ancient days because they would do that in the groves and stuff and it was leading to, to bad things and and like when Moses came down from the, the mountain stuff maybe they started removing it then because it, they, there were no boundaries on it perhaps just a thought yeah because I mean Satan is is the great mimicker right he'll if yeah. it's important to him it's an import if it's important to God it's important to Satan as well and so um seeing how how dances <laughs> kind of taken on a uh, not taken on it's always been that way but um is very odd to uh, us in this day because dance is often so um physical trashy <laughs> malicious yeah. <laughs> yeah a very physical kind of a thing that it, it must it must be very important to god and huh i i have never really thought to to seek that out and be like okay I want to get to know the Lord and and I want to do it through dance. Please give me that spiritual gift. That's <laughs> never once crossed my mind. <laughs> but interesting how music oh. and that all, all play into it. <laughs> so, much, so much of what we do depends upon our intent and the purity of our heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I was just thinking in our, our temple the Twin Falls Temple. Before that, they, I don't know if it was the night before or what uh, was dedicated, they had all the 
kids out there on the field dancing different things. And remember, um, President Menenhall uh, had directed that, but then he, he got, he was then part where he was going to die and he wasn't even able to be there. But the spirit was so strong at that and they were dancing and mm. it was really good. They've cut those out now, the cultural celebrations. They don't do those anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is definitely a difference, different feeling in wholesome dancing and then just pretty much what we see. Yeah, steak dances included. Um, like we that that you know satan how he i mean he just he invokes or invites just lust into everything and Mm -hmm. uh debases everything and um my our i have a part of my kids are in this class that you know once a month they get together like the families will meet together and they and they teach different folk dancing and stuff, you know, just where everybody joins in and stuff. And I just like, every time I do that, I'm like, we, why, why are we doing this at a stick dance? Or like, it just, cause it is beautiful and, and bonding. And there is like, it's not sexualized. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's just so unifying too. You know, you just feel mm-hmm. love and joy uh coming together like that and i'm like man if we could just expose our kids to more of this all of us you mm-hmm. know have more of that in our gatherings like to me it is it is a witness that dancing does have a place you know and a purpose it can it can it can uh bring this and invite the spirit strongly you know so and and so it's yeah, just that oh, longing for a more godly culture, I guess, <laughs> mm-hmm. through the experience. And yeah, That's dancing cool. and vine. We'll all bring our dancing shoes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the way that our, our steak dances are currently, I'm sure Cotton Eye Joe will, will be played. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, heaven help me. <laughs> Every single dance i've been to in the last decade has been cotton eye joe yep (laughs) state texas influences yep (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say our son married a girl there when she was five they immigrated from mexico up to um seattle and a lot of her family came from mexico for their wedding and it was so different but it was so fun we were there for like four hours for the wedding reception and everyone just danced. And grandpa was dancing with the granddaughter or great granddaughter, you know, and it was just so pure and just, you know, and here we were all kind of standing back going, this is weird. And they did, and then we just joined in because it was so fun. Mm-hmm. And it was that kind of same, like that familial bonding and just through dance, you know, I don't know what the music was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they had lyrics. If they did, I don't know what they were. But you know, just yeah, everybody just had so like four hours, and it was like, oh my gosh, we were so tired, but it was so fun mm-hmm. to just do that. 
So interesting. Yeah, I've learned a, a ton today of different things to <laughs> new spiritual gifts to unlock and, and pray for and <laughs> all I'm sorts of things. So um, well, next time we all get together, it'll be a dance party. I know, right? Like we're going to do like a, a learning Zion <laughs> type thing. We need to incorporate dance into it. Who knew? Yeah. Uh, my off that that day. certainly surprise Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have the shofars there. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> now, whether we get to it or not, at hour 133.43, there is an incredible little nugget there that everyone should read if you haven't. 43. Gotcha. Yeah. Because, um, what is it? 140? Answer, what is it? One, one what? 133. 133. 43. Okay. His question and answer is really hard to transcribe because it's yeah. just, <laughs> oh, costs, you know, strain, train of consciousness. He doesn't have pauses or anything. It's just really, mm-hmm. so I left a couple paragraphs I couldn't get, I could not wrap my brain around through. But the 3343 talks about Adam and Eve. So maybe we could talk about it next week if you want to end now. I don't know. Uh Yeah. Is anyone needing to like head out just right away? If not, yeah, let's, let's go there. Yeah. Lead us. Liberty everywhere. (laughs) Well, we're just raining here. Yeah. So let me read those uh, out loud. So it's all three of those paragraphs right there in that block. Um. Yeah, I mean, the first paragraph, yeah. Okay. So, um, okay, I guess I did. Well, maybe he starts a bit more. He was talking about, someone asked him a question which wasn't in there. Okay. But he was just talking about Adam and Eve and what's, maybe 133.32, I don't know. Okay, so uh, beyond mortality, is there a descent or ascent pattern beyond mortality? Mm-hmm. Um, you said that was only formal. I've not said well. Okay, you know, <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine. Maybe we we had to just find it and actually listen to it. <laughs> but yeah, well, okay. anyway, you're close. <laughs> not said well. I guess did say or imply that at one time. Um, it's true. That Christ went through a descent pattern in mortality, but he did not attain his ascent phase completely in mortality. His ascent phase is still coming when he comes in glory, which is part of his ascent phase. We know from Adam and Eve that to become an Adam and Eve, it says, awake and arise, which is resurrection imagery, that they had gone through a previous mortal experience to obtain that. So that too, in that they accomplished, that's in the church archives. That's in, I mentioned Wilfred Woodruff's diary, which um, was discussed by the brethren. So we know from that, that to become an Adam and Eve, when we attain paradise in the millennial age, that they must have gone through what we are going through if we become elect and attain paradise. So what else would there be to your question? Is there something beyond this that we, where we? Well, I would say that there's not another for a descent or ascent beyond mortality, but it does kind of imply that if Jesus did nothing but what he saw the Father do, and he commands us to do nothing but what he, we see him do, then it implies that there is more than one mortality, maybe many 
more mortalities. And you know, I'm not teaching that, but I'm saying the scriptures do imply it. Um, and then he says, that's what I am teaching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he always has to be very careful with it. You know, like uh, in some of his Q and A's or whatever, he's been a lot more bold and, and saying, yeah, of course there is. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's very interesting talking about um, like in, in a, uh, culture nowadays i mean we have many people kind of taking tangents uh, away from from the gospel and and talking about multiple mortal probations in a very negative sense uh, obviously uh Daybells and and the like that uh have have been taking it to an extreme and so he he is very cautious about uh talking about it but then sometimes he'll surprise you and be like yeah it's exactly what i'm teaching <laughs> and, and it's not <laughs> don't take it for avraham's word but but go to the scriptures and, and find out what uh, is actually being taught or, or implied and, and different things. But it, it does make make you wonder about uh, if if ascent and descent phases are the Lord's pattern, then then what does that look like in the scope of, of this earth? And and just like uh, the scriptures clearly implied that uh, Christ has not uh, fully completed his his ascent, uh, touch me not for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Like there's a there's a phase here that that needs to happen. And so um, anyway, it's just very interesting how that could possibly play into the um, mortalities and and things. But yeah, it is a, a very polarizing question too. <laughs> Well, in the Book of Mormon, I think it came up four times that it has the phrase to go no more out, mm -hmm. but it never says what that means. Yeah. What was the first part of that comment, Alethea? It cut out. Um, that I did a search in the Book of Mormon for the phrase because I knew it was there and so I searched for to go no more out. And I think it was there four times, okay. but yeah. then it never says anything else. It just is like that you do this, this, and this to go no more out. And it was like, is that referring to the multiple mortal probations? I'm go super no more intrigued out. now to like go in and, and try to, because there's there's lots of like key indicators in the the Book of Mormon that are like Hebraisms, right? And so kind of taking the context that those are put in and go try to find what the Hebrew would have been, and then do that word search in the Old Testament and and things, and and see if that phrase is in there as well, but maybe just in a little bit different translation kind of a thing. Uh, I would be super intrigued to. Them to kind of do that word study because yeah it, mm -hmm. it's very odd how um those are mentioned in the book of mormon just kind of like nonchalantly do 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 yeah mm -hmm. so if we're going to talk about the book of mormon mm -hmm. um can i share a podcast yeah mm -hmm. um it's the channel is stick of joseph it's two two brothers i believe they're younger mm -hmm. But they have, um, I can't remember which one it was from talking scriptures on. Oh, and he brings goodness. his friend. Yeah, he brings his friend, whose name is also Dave Butler, David Butler, not to be confused with David Butler and Emily Bell Freeman. 
And his whole thing is temple. Well, let me just pull it up so I get it right. Is it the David Butler that wrote those books? Like uh, he's written science like science fiction books, sci-fi books. Yeah, because I just started reading. And I swear it was recommended on here. Like the Plain and Precious is one. He doesn't say the name oh. of it. He's got oh. long hair and a mustache. It looks like oh. he's kind of going bald. Oh but yeah. But it's called "Is the Sermon on the Mount an Ancient Temple Ritual?" Right. And there's two parts. And I've listened to the first one and then I'm like, wait, I got to listen to that better. And then I was listening to the second one when we started and I'm just saying they refer a little bit to the book of Mormon and I'm now going the way that he reads things and takes you through it. I'm like, oh, I need to look at things differently when I read like even more differently. Hmm. sure like these phrases mean something different and so anyway yeah he takes you through and shows how it is temple liturgy it's so cool like this knowledge that is coming it seems like it's just coming forth very strongly i i love that we have a way to share it though yeah exactly so important that we understand it mm-hmm. there's also yeah. a man named robert k he's uh yes number yes and he's blowing my mind right now like, <laughs> right. I, mm-hmm. that makes me want to take cameron's hebrew classes but i don't have a mind for that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah robert i mean just amazing different connections and things i need to go through like his classes like every quarter <laughs> and get those they're, they're very deep and i get frustrated because they're so full of information and there's no way for yeah. me to put it in my scriptures and have it make sense or just <laughs> even contain it it's like i don't know all i feel like i can do is listen to it i don't even know how to write it down for future reference which is very interesting because i feel that way with most jewish based things like anytime that I'm reading like Jewish literature mm-hmm. or uh, commentaries and, and different things, I feel the exact same way. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm understanding it in the moment, but I have the hardest time trying to distill it down like onto paper or anything like that. Like it's so hard. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they don't, oh, sorry. It's because they don't do anything linear, right? Mm-hmm. They're more, right. they take yeah. more of a circular approach. So here we are trying to write linear ideas down and it defies that mm-hmm. it's something you almost have to experience and relax and quiet your mind and just allow it to permeate you mm-hmm. i love that where do we get that training <laughs> in in sunday school i mean <laughs> yeah we're very especially Westerners, right? Like we're just so linear and everything just has to fit the the certain pattern, right? But yeah, like you said, I, I, I at first I used to get so frustrated with some of these uh, podcasts or YouTubers and, and different things that were just like, uh, you know, like uh, <laughs> even like Morgan Philpot or, or different things. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just so much. And I'm like, can, can we not like break it down to like a primary level for me? It's not like I can get complex concepts, but I need a, a better way to like internalize what is mm-hmm. being taught. 
But like what Lisa said there, like it's not linear. You have to be able to see this and this and this and this all at the same time and, and to be able to, to fully focus on it. That I'm yeah, just so untrained in that. Yeah, there's something about um there's something about uh not being able to map it out. You can't really construct it in a graph or a chart or on a chalkboard. It's something that is more, like I said, more experiential. Um I remember when I was studying literature, we, we our minds have changed, our brains and their gifts we've become much more mathematical as a culture and that's not bad there's just different ways of you know the brain can be and back in the elizabethan days they would stand in the theaters they didn't sit and they would watch and they would be listening not reading and trying to comprehend but literally just listening and hearing at four different levels of meaning Oh, there you go. That blew me away because we used to sit and study Shakespeare. And when we would start to see multiple read, read, uh, meanings because we would be reading and, and trying to discern and we would go, holy cow, you know, Bonanza, look at this one. And we would be so excited, but it was because we were studying. We weren't just standing in a theater with crowds of people around us and able to hear and understand at four levels. Hmm. I was like, what? And, and that just kind of that is the well that's the yeah what we need to learn as we study the scriptures and 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 like you're talking about that linear approach i i you know it's becoming so apparent how stagnating it is for us in our ability to really take from the scriptures what is available because we do love to just like slap a meaning on it and that's it and you know we'll debate that or whatever and we miss that layered mm -hmm. um yeah paradigm you know and and all that it has for us and so yeah i think that's what is probably been the just the most mind opening thing to me is just the more I can and, and I keep falling back to it just because that's it's all I know you know but like to just go like okay you know hear these different ideas and layers and everything don't think it just stops there you know and 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 even like if you hear two different things not to go like oh well they're right they're wrong but it's like just that there's and and then you're you're man your um appreciation or just the yeah what the scriptures have is just so mind-blowing you know just to start i mean and i feel like i only have that tiniest glimpse of really what is what is in there but to be able to start to realize like just how god really does work in the scriptures to teach us on so many levels is astounding but anyways just that yeah i love that you pointed out that it you know how how they the hebrews looked at things cyclically and yeah and 
hopefully we can just keep learning that right <laughs> right and it, it feels like amy to me it, it feels like it's not a um intellectual endeavor it feels uh, like to me there are certain um ways to approach the mysteries of life to be more open to be more permeable to not try to tack something down nail it down graph it chart it but to be present to spirit and to be present to the mysteries in a way that we can comprehend through our physical body in ways that you cannot when you're trying to intellectualize. Mm. Mm. On that note, sorry, this is kind of maybe a tangent or just too random of a thought, but I did just want to ask this kind of popped into my mind um, as I don't know word of wisdom came to my mind and i i don't even remember, don't remember. what's that oh um and I, and I oh sorry i'm getting feedback there we go um i was listening to something and it just kind of like struck me of you know just that the was it called the parts partis uh, mm -hmm. concept of the different layers and scriptures and stuff and and I just had that thought of like wait a minute the word of wisdom like you know there's the that first layer of like this is the list of what we do or don't partake of or whatever and also I don't know I just had this thought of like there's got to be layers in that of like it's it's beyond just a dietary um guideline mm -hmm. Um, especially when you read, you know, the beginning and then the promises in the end, you know, just like, I mean, but not that I've, yeah, I, I was kind of going through it and I don't know, like, has anybody come across something that touches on that? Just the word of wisdom from a, you know, just another level or something? Yeah. When we were going through lectures, um, cause that was one of the yeah the things that we did, I remember I linked to a, a couple different uh, articles or I think one of them was even like a workbook that was kind of going through that a little bit of like, okay, here's one kind of way to to look at the word of wisdom. And here's another way oh. uh, I'd have to refresh myself on exactly, but maybe I, I think in learning Zion under um, that week that we did the, the word of wisdom, okay. We did it for several weeks and you gave us several things to read. Okay. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have one of those links that. somewhere that uh, I think we spend a long time on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I don't remember that. Okay. Maybe that was like planted in my brain and I forgot until now. And you all yeah, have I to go agree back. with you totally that like word of wisdom is, is very much a four part or four layered um, thing that, I mean, we have, just the basics then you have the the remes layer then you have darash and then finally the the sod the, the deep mystery of what why is that even given to us in in a greater context and what can it do for us in the in the future okay cool it's just again just as yeah trying to break through this very western thinking and man the possibilities mm -hmm. there is pretty Pretty cool. Yeah.
I need to go through lectures again. <laughs> How do we do all of the study that we want to do? <laughs> that's that's my thing. One of these days, I'm going to get back into that and go through that another time. Yeah. Well, is there anything else in the uh, second half of this lecture that we we didn't touch on? Uh, again, like I, I didn't do my homework this time. <laughs> I don't even know what's uh, necessarily in there, but. not i think i mean we had like an excellent discussion on uh hopefully it, it all pertained to the <laughs> at least you're muted sorry i'll get it transcribed earlier this week so maybe by monday night or tuesday you guys can feel comfortable getting on and it'll be readable oh well thank you yeah thank you so much for for all you do and <laughs> transcribing those i've really fallen behind that's amazing Totally. Thanks for all you do, Shalise. Yeah. Oh, that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> because I am linear. <laughs> yeah. You're going to go through withdrawals when they end. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're going to want to be transcribing even after. Like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Well, I mean, I loved what you guys were saying about being in the moment of it all. And I get that. But then I can never repeat it. It doesn't it doesn't sink deep enough for me to feel like I learned it. Mm -hmm. So then I feel like I wasted my time. So for example, um, a year and a half ago when I found Abraham's Institute, I read everything that he possibly wrote and listened to all of this before I ever opened the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> so last January or February, I thought, all right, I've read everything. I, I need to actually read the, the book. And I was so scared. I don't know why I was scared, but I knew that if I spent time reading it, it would just drivel out of my brain. Like it would not settle. And I think that's what I was afraid of. And so in my prayers, the thought came to write, you know, write. And I'm like, okay. So I started and the first couple chapters, I would just write little things that came to me or that I could tell was happening. And then I added his commentary every chapter. So then I would write a little bit more. But by the end, by probably chapter 50, every verse I was writing almost half pages. Like it, And it wasn't just repeating his commentary. I could tell that the spirit was teaching me. And because I had to listen and process and create thoughts, and then actually the physicality of writing it down allowed the spirit to then continue that. And I wrote down many things that were not obvious or said by Abraham or whatever. And it was almost a surreal for me. I, I enjoyed it so much that by the time I got to the end, I went back to the first couple chapters and did those in that way. And it stuck with me. Like I literally know the words of Isaiah. It's in my brain. I can tell you when somebody's speaking it or quoting it or referring to it. I can almost go to chapters. It it's so beautiful. And it's because I had that exercise of using my hands, my brain, the thoughts, having to gel them into something. And I thought, this is why our teachers make us do essays. <laughs> because <laughs> it, there's, there's there's something about having to do that puts it in your brain solidifies it 
that's cool well and that just and that's the beauty of it like god knows how we each learn and he i don't know he will speak to us and however however we can receive or you know and 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 even like through that process you just look at how a child learns you know and how that evolves and changes and everything and and yeah that's what he's doing for us and yeah and and that's i think that is such an important message it's like there's no right or wrong way right it's just to be so we all have different open. learning styles some have to read some have to yeah. hear some have to write some have to move now the special education teacher in me is coming out yeah <laughs> you see it first sounds like howard gardner's uh theory of uh, different ways of learning mm. some children are kinesthetic some children are musical some children learn through their ears other children learn interests with other people engaging with them that's mm -hmm. very uh, we're also very unique yeah. i think that was called howard gardner's uh theory of multiple intelligence mm. yeah I resonate a lot with Shalisa's method there because like, I mean, I can listen to podcasts all day long, but unless I'm actually writing something down, like <laughs> uh, my very first journal that uh, was real, I guess you could say, <laughs> uh, I mean, some feeble attempts when I was little, but um, my first journal was uh, back in 2014. And I, to this day, I can still find things in there because I would make like little marks and stuff. And I, I know what the page looks like and stuff like that's just how, what kind of learner I am, like, unless I'm actually writing it down. So, I mean, yes, I, I can listen to podcasts on my way to work and, and stuff like that. But if I actually want to study, I have to be like Shalice is doing it and writing it down and stuff. Uh, that's just my learning style for some reason, but I've kind of painted myself into a corner where I'm just almost too busy to like, make these big blocks of time in my day for that type of, of learning and so this whole last year I felt like man I am just not the learner I used to be <laughs> and and anyway I, there, there's something to be said for that find your learning style and and develop that spiritual gift pray for it often and and have the Lord multiply it because yeah we we desperately need to to learn um, and and grow in it and stuff so yeah uh, I, I've done a, a couple pass-throughs through Isaiah, but uh, I need to to do it more fully, like uh, your pattern there, Shalise. It, it would be so helpful. <laughs> to, I, to, I completely know. agree about the need to be scholarly. When I was making the comments about experientially experiencing things through our physical body, it was not diminishing scholarship. There's such a place for it. what I... Um, think I was trying to um, to speak to was when we experience the spirit or when we encounter the divine it is an experience that we're not going to write it's not like you're going to like write it down and study it <laughs> it's going to be an experience that we that changes us changes us probably at a cellular level I'm sure when Jesus healed people he went right down to their very DNA and maybe even did intergenerational healing. So there's something that we can experience that's way beyond scholarship. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Exactly. I totally agree, Lisa. And I loved what you said earlier. It made me so happy because I feel like I'm at such a base, like, like everything's such a big effort. And when I read um, near-death experiences and they can go into a library and they can just know what's in every single book. And I'm sure that's permanent. Like they know it for, it, you know, it's written. It's it's truth in their soul that they can go back to and refer to. And they didn't have to do anything but just think on it. So that's the gift I want to pray for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pure knowledge just coming to me and not having to do all of the physical effort of it all. But some things for me are so important that I have to do that. Mm-hmm. I read, I, I listened. Sorry. Sorry. Go sometimes ahead. When we, um, just to add to what you said, sometimes when we put in the effort, then a great gift is given. It's almost like we put in that effort and then something is given to us that is such a great gift that's definitely what i received over over my efforts with isaiah i read or i listened to Corey jensen's um, temple books and the whole time i'm out in the garden and i'm just like weeping just weeping for hours and days actually and i had to go buy them because then i want to highlight them. I want to go back. I want to look up every little scripture. Like I, everything I listen to, I end up buying. It's, it's kind of halfway annoying Mm -hmm. because then I've got a stack of books that I think, oh, I know what's in there, but no, I've got work to do if I open it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a joyful time in my life. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. Do you feel like as you, you know, you're talking about staying up late or early or whatever, do you feel like you're being given the sustaining energy to do that? You know, cause like for me, um, I don't know. I'm, a, I, I'm like, uh, got that scarcity mentality when it comes to sleep or whatever that like, Oh, I won't be able to function or whatever, but I don't know. I just heard stories of people kind of being blessed with that, um, that strength as they do use that time for, I mean, yeah, to, like sacrificing that time for God. But I don't know. Have you noticed that at all? I feel like I'm just in a really, a bubble of time. I, my kids are gone. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not really society president anymore. Like I just, I recognize that this is a really unique time in my life. And going to bed at night is a huge chore. Like I, until my eyes are just literally glazed over, I have to go, but I love it. I love the quiet of the evening. I can study all day long. Mm -hmm. So it's a little obsessive, but it's just my time. It's my time to to study. And I've found that I can get so caught up in everyone's podcasts and videos and there's, they're, they're unending literally. But then I think all I'm doing is listening to what other people are saying, like, let me be in the word. And then the Lord opens it up. And if I write it down, then I can keep it. So it's just a mix, but I feel like I use what other people say to then dive deeper into the the source of whatever they're thinking they're saying about it. Mm-hmm. 
It's a battle. A beautiful battle. Yeah, <laughs> a beautiful battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's addictive. <laughs> In a good way. Yep. In the best way. Yeah. Pray for lots of more <clears throat> lots more time as a spiritual gift and when you still go out and do lots and lots of things, just keep praying for time, time to be on your side and it just works out. Ask Cameron. It has, he's had miracles with it. <laughs> yeah. The gift I have to. Is something so underutilized in, in our day and age. What's underutilized? Uh, the spiritual gift of time. Uh, oh right um, actually harnessing that is i don't yeah. know one of my biggest quests <laughs> huh that's such a good reminder last weekend i got a new calling and i got a blessing and i have just given up all of my time now and i was told in my blessing that i would have enough time to get everything done i work full-time i have two callings I go with the missionaries all the time, helping them. I have this big property and critters and a big house that's always got something broke. My hot water heater is now being on the fritz. <laughs> but I was told in my blessing, don't worry. I got the best blessing. It was kind of scary, too, because the blessing also, I'll share a little bit. Um, I was warned to be careful of what I was studying. So now I'm like <gasps> looking at everything under a microscope. It, my blessing said to um, be careful of things I'm studying for fear of my apostasy, basically. Mm -hmm. Wow. I know. So I've got, I don't dare watch very many podcasts at this point. Mm hmm. Yeah, kind of like what Shalice wow. was saying. Just get to the actual word and let's do it. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's really neat. It was very sobering, you guys, because I actually just went home and just got in a cocoon. I was like, oh, my goodness. I got to rethink everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes we have those kind of resets. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yep. <laughs> wow. It's not the real new year. The new year starts in March. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to keep adding things, but did uh I didn't realize speaking of podcasts, like listening to the Pickerings, they were saying that they're that Israel's planning on sacrificing the heifer at Passover. I didn't, I hadn't heard that part. I, I, I knew there was anticipation for this year, but uh, anyways, I just thought that that was interesting. And I haven't looked at anything to see where that was from, but yeah, so uh, there's a, sorry, I, it's exciting too. A Facebook group called the Temple Institute, I believe. Yeah. But anyway, just kind of like following that and, and stuff has been very interesting, kind of seeing their preparations um, for for this this new temple. I mean, they're, it's interesting how 
all of these groups are, are preparing for the end times and uh you know they're preparing to offer sacrifices again in righteousness and everything that um anyway i i just it's exciting uh yeah. i'm excited for them and uh for being willing to help them in, in any way we can kind of thing yeah uh, this year just looks like it's so full of <laughs> so full are those heifers three now or almost three i, I can't remember the i yeah. just know they'll be of age at that time that's mm -hmm. or, yeah but i don't remember which that was if it was at three that they need to be I think they have to be three yeah. But I didn't know when their birthdays were because yeah, all of the other ones, they get really close and then they find a little gray or white hair. Yeah. But they, I think they have three heifers. I don't know. It's been a long time since I went and yeah. looked. Yeah, there's three. Still, they were close, but I don't know how old they are exactly. Isn't it crazy to think so? Like they, they made the point of just, you know, for, for, how i don't know how long it's been but just you know thousands of years Three thousand years three thousand <laughs> almost two thousand years oh yeah two thousand okay yeah, yeah for two thousand years they yeah. haven't been able to have a perfect heifer and now it's just so i think they so found cool. me in like i don't know i want to say south america somewhere i can't remember what's Are in you... south america I think that's where they found these three. Oh, I thought they were from Texas. I don't know. Maybe they are. Yeah. There's been oh, so well, much. That's where they found the Pope was South America. <laughs> <laughs> they might have found them and they failed. Because I don't know. Oh. <laughs> there's, there's a painting in our temple. And it's actually in the break room of all places. I don't know if you guys have seen it. But it's a pale pale colors and there's all the offerings there's a red heifer in the corner there's um, barley wow. there's all kinds of animals and it's it's kind of an odd painting because it's 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 ethereal in the back it's not in a location you know, Dang it. No too bad it's in the temple i want a picture of it <laughs> well Is i almost want i in the break room i i might just do that on my way to the locker room and take a picture <laughs> because there's so many things in there that i would i don't know what they mean but there's enough that i now know the importance of it that this entire painting is all the offering and did it, did it have their um garments in it yes there's people in it and they have maybe a red sash i mean there's so everything is symbolic like i said there's no landscaping it's just thing wow, nobody that doesn't ring a bell Mother, are you still on there i i just sent you a picture of one that has that on that it's in the oakland temple where did you to me my uh -huh, to oh. your messages see if that's the one that she's talking about Oh yeah, yeah. Because I was like, which temple was that in? I can't remember. But I was like, it's, when they did open. like the the open house, I was like, oh my gosh, this temple is amazing. No, he can't share it in the chat. But can you share your screen? Yeah, I'm getting it open in just a second. What which temple did you say it was? Was it Rome? Oakland. Oakland. Oh, Oakland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just a second. I'm getting there. <laughs> But yeah, it's one that you just never see, but that's 
I'm so sad. It's in the yes, that's oh, it. Oh yeah. Ooh, I love yes. that. I have never seen that. This is like one of the most craziest paintings I've ever seen as far as symbolism. It looks very simplified, but it is one of the most complex symbolic pieces I've ever seen. I need a whole study of this. It's blowing my mind. This is. I think I have seen this one. I don't know where. It wasn't in the temple. Yeah, so this, um, the original is in Oakland Temple, and they did it for the, the rededication, but apparently they've made some some reprints or whatever, and so, um, in the break room of all places, that's interesting. <laughs> is that, a, is that a, a broken tablet, or what do you think that is on the right? That's a headstone. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh, a broken yeah. headstone. Broken headstone? Like, yeah. what's that? Yeah. Represent? Does this painting like- feel like a pic, like pictorially reading Hebrew, like yeah, there's he's... so many layers. It's not lineal. It's <laughs> uh huh. Exactly, but yeah, you Can have we... all of the original sacrifices in the there, link? plus all of Where... the new ones. What is that? What's the headstone? Just like the overcoming death. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So would... it has all of the biblical sacrifices, but then the ultimate sacrifice where Christ overcame death, right. like as okay. his his own sacrifice there. What are the three pillars? Yeah, exactly. There's actually four. Um oh yeah, okay. So, oh yeah, there huh. Okay. That's cool. Painting. I'm trying to um, find look, they even have the red scarf around the one yep. the scapegoat. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But one thing that's interesting is um, the number of birds. I remember because uh, you think you found them all, but then you didn't. Um, oh. Anyway, there's there's forty total. Oh, whoa. how many? Forty. Oh my gosh! Wow. I never guessed that. <laughs> I'm trying to find like a link so we can get like a better image of it, kind of a thing. But. I may have Do to. Do we have an artist? Gary, is it in your YouTube? Let's see. What did you say? Gary um, put in the chat. Oh. That was um, Bryce Dunford's Temple Symbols he's been doing oh. on um, YouTube. Gotcha. But is this picture in there? Do you know? Um, oh, it says something about. I don't know. It says in the chat, this story of the birds is in, but then I can't tell what it's So saying. Bryce Dunford, Bryce Dunford tells the story that when he went to the temple with his grandfather, his grandfather said, you know, count how many um, birds are there. And oh. Oh. Uh, then he said um, that he thought he found the maximum. Like his grandfather said there were 30 something and then every time Bryce went, he would count them again, and he kept finding more and more. Mm-hmm. And I think there are more than forty. Mm-hmm. Is there from his from his? I remember story. hearing him tell that story, and I don't remember. Uh huh. Because um, like in, I remember when the Oakland Temple was being dedicated, and this artist was being interviewed. He specifically said that there was 40 in this one so i'm wondering if there's like oh. another painting of of birds and things that that it's talking about but i could be wrong too i might be like conflating things <laughs> well, i could be wrong too i could have thought that it was more and it's not really 
But yeah, isn't that so interesting? I am having a hard time like trying to Google it and just find it or whatever, but how Do lucky you are so nice to have it in your temple. <laughs> I'm never in the break room. <laughs> Do we know the artist? That's what I'm trying to find. I haven't seen it yet. I love it when we get a secret mission going. I know. I, <laughs> I know. I want a list of what it all means. Elise yeah. is going to be in there with her cell phone. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going we to. In, we were in the prayer meeting Thursday night, and the somebody had given the temple president a scripture that he was supposed to read. Like he'd asked them to print it out, and they printed the wrong one. So then the guy popped up with his phone and went searching for it. I'm like, hello, why do you have your phone in here? And it was on. Right? <laughs> so this has become a problem in our rules temple. rules for you and rules for us? Yeah. Um, so some of our, our people that in prayer meeting, you know, like some of, at least in ours, we have uh, somebody that gives a prayer and somebody that gives like a spiritual thought kind of a thing. And a lot of our spiritual thoughts have been using their cell phones to to bring up scriptures and stuff. And the temple presence, like, um, let's let's maybe not do that. <laughs> but I'm like, how did that even? I, I don't know. Where does it even cross your mind? But <laughs> it's interesting. We always got to be on. Well, as we read in Isaiah, we are just a very proud bunch of folk. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. uh, I think it's. Uh... Who was I listening to just pointing out how, you know, we are compared to sheep and, and it's just like the most fitting animal to be compared to. Cause I mean, we, they really are dumb and they like constantly get themselves in trouble. Like they literally cannot survive without on their own, without a shepherd, you know, out, it's in there to save or coming in and rescuing them constantly and so it's like now i feel yeah. dumb <laughs> but we're but you know what's dumb. interesting it's okay. <laughs> you know what's interesting as stupid as they are the only thing they remember is who their shepherd is oh that's a good one and all that's all christ wants us to remember is right. who he is that's cool right um, one of the things I read about sheep says that they prefer mucky, old, stale, stagnant water, and they have to literally lead to living uh, waters, to, yeah. to flowing waters. Mm -hmm. and was, the water snob. The, the parallels, I think, are endless, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Gosh. Well, and I just heard somebody talking about the shepherds. Actually, I think I read it. I can't remember. I want to say it was Lynn Hilton. But she said that this person said that they did a search of shepherds and they couldn't find anywhere where it said that they were the ones that um, when they, when the sheep were born, that they said, these are the ones that are worthy for nothing like that, that we've been hearing, but they were actually the lowest of the lowest job. And that people thought they were thieves and they weren't very honest and all of these things. And then they said, isn't that interesting that that's who the Savior decided to call, that's the name, the, the title he decided to call himself by was the shepherd. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think it's kind of a, a symbol of his descent, maybe, right? I'm sure there's a lot of things, but 
since we're like sheep, it was like, yeah, I'll be your shepherd. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting. I love that. Sorry, I'm not very talkative. I'm, <laughs> I'm on a mission. I'm trying to find, You're trying to find that. I know, I'm trying to find it too. <laughs> Uh, you'll probably find it first because you're super good at searching things super super good so where did, thing... where did your mom get the painting yeah darlene i i have it on my desktop because i love it so much oh. <laughs> so you know that it's like darlene. really blurry she got it off of this image oh let me i'm not sharing my screen anymore am i um sorry Um, so if you go to churchofjesuschristtemples.org, go to the Oakland oh, Temple and to oh, the, okay. the gallery, um, she just did a screenshot off of this. Okay. Oh, it's right at the door of the temple. Yeah. Way to go, Darlene. But one of the easiest ways, if you, um, uh, images, Google... Oh, I guess I just have it built into their thing now. But if you just drag and drop any picture into a Google search bar, um, it will do like a, a reverse image search. But that one doesn't have any hits. I went through like five pages of things and couldn't find it. But anyway, I finally just went straight to the Oakland Temple um, photo gallery here. And that's where you have this yeah. one. Well, I guess we're going to have a... <laughs> a book club uh meetup in in oakland then it sounds like <laughs> we're, gonna go down, we're just gonna camp out at the recommend desk <laughs> in the lobby <laughs> road trip you know or the medford temple break group come yeah. on over <laughs> yeah, is it go. pretty big actually we there? could talk better in the in the break room than we can in the lobby right yeah <laughs> how do we get in there <laughs> Thursday wow. evenings, come on over. I'll help you in. <laughs> yeah, we know someone. <laughs> but yeah, I find that uh, a lot of the paintings in the temple are, are just so interesting. Like um, uh, in ours, our temple matrons over the past few years have been um, going through and finding all of the original pieces and, and finding out who painted them and, and things. Um, and anyway, we have like this little binder of all of the artwork in the temple because, you know, sometimes they swap them out and, and things, but all of the original ones, uh, stay there. And so, um, anyway, it's been very interesting, the placement of the, the different ones. So we have like this really interesting anointing picture, um, in the, the male's dressing room right next to the anointing, um, booths and things. And I'm like, who is it? Where is it and stuff? But the the matron finally found it uh, a couple weeks ago, um, and she she found out who the artist was and um, uh, was able to kind of track that down. Anyway, I'm just like so intrigued, like because it's just unnamed. We don't know who this person is in in the painting, being anointed and, and preparing the oil kind of a thing. But it's I mean it's such a moving picture. But anyway, it's just so I find temple paintings so intriguing to uh, take a look at and where they're placed <clears throat> anyway my husband loved a painting in the waiting area of the rexburg temple so 
Mm-hmm. It was a painting of Christ. He goes, I've never, it just spoke to him. He goes, I've never seen a painting like that before. Yeah. And he really wanted it. So I thought, well, I'll get it for him. So I called the Rexburg temple and they told me they have a lot of people call asking. <laughs> and they said, yeah. they told me who the artist is. I can't remember his name right now. It's he's famous. Everybody knows him. But um, she said, often the paintings that are in the temple, they don't have anywhere else. You will not be able to get them. And yeah. I looked at his website and it wasn't there. Like they were only done for the temple yeah. because you don't want worldly things, I guess, in the temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have um, one in the Twin Falls temple because um, we had the the same artist paint the, the murals for mm-hmm. the Telesha room. But anyway, um, in Rexburg, they had changed their, uh, the building after the fact that they had painted the murals. And so um, they had to cut a new doorway into the one of the um, telestial rooms. And so that whole part that they cut out, they framed it and it's now in the Twin Falls Temple. <laughs> oh, wow. That's it's just like cool. this, this weird thing that's like, oh, I, I mean, we have a piece of it's they're kind of twin temples because they're built right around the same time. Maria has a story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so. Walter Rain, um, you know who what he painted? He painted like the empty tomb, the famous one of Joseph Smith in the um, when he was fourteen praying. He's just like in a prayer stance. Uh-huh. Uh, he paints he, anyway. He works for the church. That's his job, and uh, he's a very good artist. So he would take lots of people from the ward, and we were in his pictures. So, so my son is in, I tried to hunt this down. I called him, he moved, he he doesn't live here anymore. I called him and I said, I want a copy of that picture. And he said, I can't give you it. It's been commissioned. It was commissioned by the St. George temple. And Mm -hmm. so there are no other copies. There's just one in the St. George temple. That's why I'm surprised that there were two, like from the one in Chalice is in Oakland. Anyway. Um, I guess that that's the story of it, but it was just interesting to me that it's, and to, unless I go to the St. George temple, which just barely reopened, hopefully they didn't get rid of it because I also know that when they do remodeling, anything, uh, redo a temple, everything gets thrown away. It doesn't, it, it gets incinerated because they don't want people to make up stories about what the, you know, the temples have inside of them. Cause you know, all the furniture is really nice and, Mm-hmm. you know so they just so I hope that it's I'm gonna go there next month so I'm hoping mm-hmm. to see that picture with my son when he was like eight years old Walter was his Sunday school teacher oh really and um set him apart and my son said or gave him the Holy Ghost and my son said did you see brother rain he was glowing it's just Aww. he's just the most humble Walter Rain, just so humble, quiet, doesn't want any recognition. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that's the story. It's super personal to me. But I'm in it too. With I'm just one of it was the loaves and fishes painting. Okay. And my 13 year old now she was just a baby, and I'm holding her in that picture. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it didn't get destroyed, and it's still around. Yeah. So. I love that. Yeah, I'm gonna keep an eye out for that. I don't make it down there very often, but <laughs> when I do, <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. Interesting how I mean we have lots of like common paintings in our 
um, temples, right? The ones that are just kind of mm -hmm. standard, but then so many unique ones. Hmm. Um, interesting thing. We went down to the McAllen temple. I don't know if I told you guys this for their open house. Never seen this before. When you walk into the celestial room, they're facing at you is a huge mural of Christ with his arms out. And then on one wall is a mirror and on the other wall is a mirror that reflect the painting. So you can oh. see Christ before you and on the left side and on the right. And I've never seen, I don't know if I've ever seen murals in the celestial room except for Idaho Falls, which I really wish they would take those out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not partial to the ones in the Idaho Falls temple. <laughs> celestial room but i've never seen one of christ and that was beautiful and so you can just stand there and see the reflection of christ yeah mm. that's so interesting in the provo one uh oh that's what i was just gonna the, say <laughs> the provo one the provo do they have a picture of christ in the celestial room painting yeah i was just Her murals and it I went there as a missionary, but that was so many years ago. I don't remember. <laughs> oh, go, go again and look at it. It's I got to go fall 2022 with my mom. I was just my mouth hanging open. Are you talking about this Provo City Center or the Provo? Provo City Center. Oh, okay. I didn't oh, go I there as a missionary. Provo. I went I to the Provo. I didn't go there. Yeah, Provo. Not then. It's the prettiest one I've ever seen. I have been there, but it's been a little while, so I don't remember. Like probably, I don't know, eight years yeah. since I've been at that one. I'll have to go notice that one now, Tracy. I mm -hmm. can't think of it. I, was I just love to go road tripping and temple hopping. Huh. Well, let me know next time you're in Provo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the Provo yeah. one. It's kind of the uh, standard missionary <laughs> uh, rite of passage, I guess. Um, the, in the Provo one, there's a, a big picture of uh, Christ. It's not a mural, but a, a really big painting. And then a mm -hmm. mirror in front of it. So if you stand in front of the mirror, then it looks like Christ is like oh, actually wrapping oh, his wow. arms around you. And so, I mean, every time that we went to the temple as missionaries, uh, I mean, that whole thing, it was just lined up with missionaries all the time. They wanted to go see themselves being wrapped in. See, I don't remember that. I don't even know if I did that. <laughs> I do know I went to the temple wise at the MTC. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Southern I mean, mid and, and southern Utah have some of the prettiest temples. Like Payson is like my all-time favorite. Oh my goodness. Oh, I love, I love that one. That's where our daughter was married. But yeah, Provo City it. Center and, and things. Near before. I'm excited to see what they did to the Manti one with yeah. all those. It's just sitting there waiting for time to go by. Like TikTok people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's ready. <laughs> My cousin Nate lives just like a block from the temple. Like you look out his window in his living room. It's the temple. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you guys seen my cousin Nate? He makes little YouTube videos about his um uh his greenhouse called i don't think so you'll have to share it i actually think i have that's my cousin yeah and he buys up yeah. all those old uh pioneer lock homes and then refurbishes them that's hmm. right he's hilarious and he has a little homestead like they have a cow and he takes the cow on vacation with them and <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh how funny 
Like they're mm-hmm. truly in a little, they live right in the middle of town, but they have a full on farm in the middle of town mm-hmm. below the temple as they're, it's like one block over. <laughs> it's funny. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Cool spot. It's called Mentai Homestead. That's what he calls it. Mm-hmm. His name is Nate, heard of it. Nate Christensen. He's goofy, so you have to just forgive him. <laughs> it's a good wholesome goofy. It's a good wholesome. His greenhouse, though, is um, he has tropical plants in it, birds. He grows his food year round. I think that's why I watched him. My son was looking up, uh, yeah, some some fruit tree, you know, that doesn't grow here. Anyways, it popped up, and I watched that with him. like he has bunnies and chickens and water storage and that's the guy who like where how does he get to do what he does with his time because he's expecting his ninth kiddo oh wow (laughs) yeah yeah you have a whole economy system there in one family (laughs) yes missionaries out right now like wow Nate the Great. Hey, hey, Cameron, can I just ask, how do you find pictures of the insides of the temple, like a specific temple? Uh-huh. So that website, uh, churchofjesuschristtemples.org, it's not run by the church, but um, oh. anyway, it's a, a very good website for construction photos as well as the others. So let me just go to like the homepage really quick. Um, but if you, uh, yeah, church of Jesus Christ temples.org, and then you come to temples, I'm on this site, like all the time, <laughs> but, um, so you can, uh, it's just a quick link to appointments. You can get a quick link to the prayer roll. Um, you can okay. look at their schedules, their chronology, etc. But, um, oh, how nice. if you That's click nice. into any of them, then you get to see um, their temple district, their dedicatory prayer. So every time that I go temple hopping, I make sure to read the dedicatory prayer before I go so that like I'm kind of like one with the building. <laughs> but then there's the the photographic gallery, the 3D model, different maps and things like that. But um, wow. what's really awesome is the construction status one. Um, you can go and look at uh, user submitted photos of the construction status um in the photo gallery so like for example the orem temple uh, they've got now that the church has released interior photos um that's they haven't always done it but um this is where you can find a lot of um the newer temples the interior shots that the church releases all in one place so that you don't have to like hunt them down on church newsroom or anything like that um but if you want to find like pioneer era temple interior photos and stuff like that um what is that website? I don't know. That'll be my homework for the week because I have like three different websites for like old interior shots, like the the old assembly rooms and all that kind of stuff. Like people have uh, found those over the years and, and got them. It's quite fun. Another one that, that came across my radar this uh, last week was um, the, the Temple Stones. So like there's this company that makes like jewelry, whether it's like tie tacks or rings or, or whatever. My kids but, got me one. They got me one of the Nauvoo temple. Uh-huh. I think that that's so interesting. So all of the mm-hmm. leftover stones after the, the temple project is done, 
Um, they usually give them to like missionaries that are serving in the area or this or that or whatever. And then these people have donated them to this company and then they make jewelry out of those specific temples. So like um, you can go on there. I, I forget what the website is called, but anyway, like, oh, Twin Falls Temple. And I want uh, a ring that has part of the actual stone from it in it. Anyway, I think that that's just such an interesting thing um, that mm -hmm. they... Not that we're making money off of temples, but like, <laughs> um, I mean, they're just discarding these these extra materials and, and somebody putting them to, to good use, I think is kind of interesting. We always find a way to make money out of things. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, your original question, I, I'll get some of like the old uh, Pioneer Temple links. There's like two or three websites that, that are, I've got to hunt down somewhere in my bookmarks <laughs> but yeah I'll, I'll get those so you can take a look at those but this other one the church of jesus christ temples has all of the the newer ones it's an excellent one well i gotta go do worldly things yeah unfortunately <laughs> i guess not worldly things i go to the temple <laughs> but anyway it was a great discussion. Uh, yeah, like Sherry said, I'll, I'll upload this one uh, hopefully soon. I'll try to do it before I go to the temple, but if not, it'll be tomorrow. But, yeah. Can I just yeah. ask you, um, just stay on and talk about the expo? Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, everyone. Well, have a, a great week. Happy studying and, and everything. We'll catch you next week for lecture 14, part one. All right. See you. Bye-bye. Right. We'll Bye-bye. Let me just shut off the...